0: What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? We've been in the story of Nehemiah in this series titled Restore, making home feel like home again. And as we've thought through this story and the spiritual implications of it, it's all been centered around the rebuilding of a wall. In chapter 3, we got to see how this was unfolding, where everyone was enlisted. Everyone was a part of it. And it wasn't lost on us that salespeople, priests, perfume makers, jewelers, soldiers, everyone was rebuilding the wall. But opposition arose Those that made fun of them, cast insult on them, for one reason or another, did not want them to succeed, suggested that these piles of rubble would remain. Piles of rubble. But that wasn't what was in the heart of the people, because the Bible says in chapter 4, verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart, with all their heart. This is a special Sunday for us at North Atlanta. Every year, we have this special contribution called One Heart. In the past, we've called it pure religion, but it's been the same time every year, and for over 20 years, we have done this. Now, bear in mind, above and beyond our foundational giving that helps us sustain the ministries of outreach and mission around the world and locally, this one day, above and beyond all of that, you have shared with the community and mission points around the world over $4 million. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you for how you have transformed my life through this contribution. But we're going to root all of this in Scripture because it is Scripture that guides the formation of our heart. So if we go back to chapter 3, you might remember that they started rebuilding the wall. And the Bible tells us that they were working away on the wall, and they're trying to get it put together. It tells us, of course, you know, that some of them were working on long sections of them. Some of them were farmers from out of town that had come in to help with the work. Some of them, on the other hand, were putting up the the stones right in front of their house. It says that everyone was involved, families were working together. And what's interesting in chapter 3 is later in the chapter, some of the folks that built the first part of the wall, or maybe the wall in front of somebody else's house, was now finally working on their house right there in front of them some of them came down and said hey I can lend a hand but everybody was working on the wall I think of what it must have sounded like well I mean grunts and groans for sure some of those stones were huge in fact some of those stones would have required a little bit of ingenuity some creativity some extra help Maybe 20, 30, 40, maybe 100 people would have had to pull together to get a few of those giant stones in place. But pretty soon that wall was taking place and it was all coming together. And, you know, you've got Meshulam over here and Meshulam's wall is coming together pretty good. Looks like Meshulam's almost done here and he's getting it all together. And then we've got, you know, Hashabaneah over here. Hashmane is working on it and man it's all coming together nicely here boy it's coming together and and all of a sudden we realize that we're down to a few stones and now what because see we've still got a gap in the wall and the Bible tells us that they they closed all the gaps This week, as I was spending time with people in different Bible studies and I was asking people for some advice as to how we might think through this together, one of our brothers in Christ, Bobby McVeigh, gave me a way of thinking through this that really helped. Because you see, at some point, it was going to come down to this you've got a few stones left, somebody reaches for that stone somebody else reaches for this stone what if both people reach for the same stone at the same time what if somebody says hey man i'm trying to finish my wall over here i need that stone somebody else says well no 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 no. i need that stone who wins in the battle for the stone you say well it looks like those stones are perfect to fill the gap well yeah but you got to bear in mind people have been working on this straight for 52 days the Bible tells us that because of all of their enemies, they were working with, with a spear in one hand or a, or a sword and bricks in the other hand, that half the people were guarding the people that were working. Some of the people the Bible tells, us, stand up all night trying to guard the wall and the workers. People were tired, they were worn out. There was fatigue, and they wanted to get it done. What happens? when it looks like we both want that same stone. Well, the Bible shows us that this wasn't just a physical problem. It wasn't just a difficulty in stacking the rocks, because you see, in reality, it was more than just stacking the rocks. It was more than just rebuilding the wall. They were also renewing the soul of the nation. They were renewing themselves as the covenant people of God. And when we come into chapter 5, it's not physical stones that they're reaching for. It's not physical stones that they're vying over. It has to do with the covenant relationship that they have with each other. Look with me at chapter 5. The Bible says, Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry, Against their fellow Jews, some of them were saying, "We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we've got to get grain." Others were saying, "We're out we're, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards, although we are of the same flesh and blood as you, and though our children are just as good as theirs, we have had to subject our children to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we were powerless because our fields and vineyards belonged to someone else. Notice that the people of Israel have come home. They've been back in the land now for 90 plus years. Then they've been trying to figure out how to navigate the rebuilding of the land, the replanting of their fields, the building of their homes, building of the temple, and the rebuilding of the wall. And all of that's happening. And it's really laborious work. And it's very difficult work. And finally, someone raises their hand and just says, Enough! We can't do it anymore. We need help. And so Nehemiah stops the process and says, tell me about it. What's going on? They said, well, we'll tell you what's going on. Some people have access to the resources that the rest of us need. There's a famine. It's hard to get food as it is, let alone if there's a famine. Try to imagine what it would be like. To need food for your family, and you go to the grocery store, and it's empty. That's what a famine is like. It's not that there's just, you know, we're waiting for the food to be restocked. There wasn't enough food. The only way there was going to be enough for everyone is if everyone took care of each other. Now, Nehemiah hears their cry. The Bible says he heard their cry. And he was very angry that this was happening. But then the Bible says he stepped back and he thought about it. And then he called a meeting. He brought everyone together and he began to discuss what they were doing. The Bible says he called a large meeting. And he says, you're charging your own people interest. As far as possible, we've been trying to buy our own people back out of foreign slavery, let alone bring them home and then sell them into domestic slavery. What's going on here? The Bible says that after he brought up these accusations and their struggles and their grievances, it says everyone just stayed quiet. It was like crickets in the room. Because all of a sudden people realize that they haven't done right in relationship to their fellow Jews, to their community. Here is what the Bible says in verse 9. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you live in reverence to God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile neighbors? Nehemiah begins to tell the first step, and that was that he and his brothers were not going to continue the practice of loaning money at interest any longer. He talks about the fact that he and his brothers would not use their position for personal gain. He says maybe some of the leaders in the past were like that, but we're not going to be like that. He challenges them to take action. He says, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to restore people, restore their land, restore their houses, restore their farms, restore their vineyards. He said, the next thing I want you to do is not only do we all stop charging interest, but you give back to them the interest that you've already taken from them. From any of you who in the past would have maybe used this opportunity to to, uh, get gain for yourself, don't do that any longer. But now I want you to notice what he says in verse 13. So I shook out the folds of my robe, and I said, In this way may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise, so that such a person may be shaken out and emptied. And then, down in verse 15, when he talks about his own decisions, how he was going to respond to the needs of the people, he says, but out of reverence for God, I did not act that way. The way in which his predecessors had put such heavy burdens on people. The way the chapter closes in verse 19, he says, remember me with favor, my God, for all that I have done for these people. Now here's how we summarize Nehemiah's story. The people, as they were building the wall, would eventually come down to a gap where the work that I was doing in front of my house and the work that someone else was doing in front of their house was eventually going to come together. Whatever Meshulam was doing on one part of the wall and Hashabeneah was doing on another part of the wall, eventually it was going to come together and eventually they were going to reach for the same stone. In a spiritual sense, the people came forward and said, it's bigger than the wall. We're reaching for more than just stones. We're reaching for food for our families. We need shelter, but our homes have been mortgaged off or sold off. We would farm our land, but someone else has it because we couldn't pay the king's tax, and we had to mortgage our fields and end up giving them to someone else in order to pay these taxes that are so heavy on us. In the end, they said, look, If there's gonna be no gaps in the wall we're gonna have to figure out how to share the stones that build the wall if there's gonna be no gaps in the community in our lives together we're gonna have to make sure that we know how to share our resources with each other but there's something very powerful in chapter 5 that we highlighted four times. And that is that Nehemiah says, you do understand that the covenant we have with one another is actually rooted in the covenant we have with God. When you reach for that stone and someone else reaches for that stone and you think to yourself, I can outmaneuver them, I can get it, I deserve it. God, Nehemiah says, but wait a minute. You do realize the stones actually belong to God. This is the promised land that came from God as a gift. This is the city of the great king, Jerusalem. This is the hill of Mount Zion. This is where the temple of God is, where God made his name to dwell. These stones don't belong to us. They belong to God. So whatever you want to do with that stone, you make sure you clear it with God before you decide to take it for yourself or Share it with a neighbor. You see, it is the covenant relationship we have with God that teaches us how to have a covenant relationship with each other. And it is our covenant relationship with each other that shows the world that we have a covenant relationship with God. Well, this is also modeled in the book of Acts. We'll go from Nehemiah chapter 5 to Acts chapter 4. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. You see, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, and they brought the money from the sales, and they put them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed it to anyone who had a need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. The Bible says that with one heart they were building the kingdom of God, that with one heart They were responding to the covenant they had with God. And the grace of God was so mighty among them that there wasn't a needy person among them. People were actually looking for ways to help each other. They were planning for ways to help each other. Now, you know, when they were building this wall, the Bible says in Nehemiah 3 that some of them were building that wall right in front of their house. And of course they were. They wanted their home to be secure. They wanted the city to be secure. But isn't it possible that sometimes we can get so fixated on building our own house, securing our own resources, that we fail to look up and see what's going on with someone else? I borrowed these binoculars from my granddaughter, Mila, and I assured her, I would return them. But she loaned me her binoculars to remind us that sometimes we can be so fixated on what's in front of us. It's like everything about our life is a magnifying glass on our own needs and our own wants and securing our own resources. What if we were to step back and pull up these binoculars and look out at the world and look around at our mission points around the world, around the city, and around our community? What if we found ourselves looking at a mission point in Nigeria? What if we found ourselves seeing people in Central America? What if we noticed people that we're living on the navajo nation what if we saw people in ontario canada what if we saw people in our own city who are struggling with homelessness who are struggling for food resources who need recovery who need counseling whose families need assistance what if we could pick up the lenses of god and look around and realize that there is enough for all. We have enough for all. And as we say to someone else, this stone is for you. This is for you. You have access. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to claw for it. Out of one heart, we prepared to bless you with it just as you have prepared to bless us as well. You see, at some point, someone says, Hey, man, I think if you turn that stone a little bit that way, and you place that stone in a little bit that way, there's no gap in Nehemiah's wall. There is not a needy person among that early church. And all of the needs of one heart are met. Through the Holy Spirit inspired generosity of this church. Now, this has been a hard year. You know it. I know it. Hopefully, the whole world knows it. But for the kingdom of God, that is an opportunity to step out and live by faith. We studied earlier this year that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added as well why in the world would i stay focused like a magnifying glass on getting this stone when it turned out that there was plenty for all of us the whole time with one heart what if some young lady in nigeria was to say i need food i need clothing i need schooling I'd really like to grow up and maybe go to college. Maybe I could get some education and some equipping that I could come back and help my community. What would you say to her? I can tell you what this church has been saying to her for the last 20 years. You can count on us. And it became a reality. Not one girl, not a few, but generations of children coming up and realizing that people said, oh no, we're happy to share What God has blessed us with, it's all His anyway. Does someone have to ask us twice to reach out and say to some worried parents, oh, trust us, we are absolutely thinking about you and your children and your children's needs, a sibling, a child. This says, my mom or my dad is struggling with addiction. Is there anywhere where they could find family, where they could find help, where people would want them and help them and help provide their needs? We say, absolutely, because for over 20 years, God has been saying yes to those needs through this church family. Won't we say yes again? You see, we know that the way these gaps are closed is because with one heart we have come to join God in building the beloved community. Now, there's a lot of ways to participate in one heart one of the ways to participate is if you have your children's packet or you re- received it in a children's uh, an email from the children's ministry you'll notice that there's an activity in there where you can write out a prayer and a special blessing and color a picture and we're going to take those and send them to our mission points so that they can hear from the children of this church that not only do we support you right now but our hearts are already being prepared to partner with you for generations to come. Isn't that beautiful? You can give us the opportunity to walk with you faithfully. If you've got needs that you're struggling with, let us know. Let us walk faithfully with you. If you know that you have the opportunity to give and give above and beyond, this is your chance to close the gap in somebody's life. Won't you do it? You can give online. You can text. All of these things will be provided in the next few moments. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to slow this process down now. Because we're going to give you a few moments to reflect on what you would like to do to help close the gap in the lives of our community and places around the world. To say to the world that with one heart, you, Are on our heart. We need you to partner with us to fulfill that $300,000 goal. Let's go after it and let's make sure that we complete it. thank you so much for your generous gift. I'm so thankful that you are partnering with us and partnering with people who will discover the love of God through your beautiful gift. Now, let's close our message with the very last verse of Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah doesn't say to all the people, hey, remember what I've done for you. He doesn't say to all the people, hey, by the way, I'm keeping a record of how how much I've blessed you. No, Nehemiah says this, with eyes turned toward heaven, God, just you remember me with favor for what I've done here. He says that more than once in the book of Nehemiah. He said, you do realize I wasn't doing it to get the praise of people. He was doing it because of his covenant relationship with God. And it is that covenant that brings us together with one heart in this One Heart Sunday to share with the world the grace and the love of God.